morning, Rogers Park. Good morning. How are we all doing? We are in a series entitled Stay the Course. Stay with me. Stay the Course. Amen. We're in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. If you've got a Bible there, please pick it up. If you've got one of the house Bibles, we're on page 975. And I'm going to start reading from Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. My name is Phil Adams, by the way. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here focusing over on West Rogers Park with the world over there. But first we're going to read Galatians 3.26. says this. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to promise. I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is, under, he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, when we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Amen? Can we go home? Let's pray. God, we come to your word with anticipation and excitement. God, your word rings true. And God, we thank you that your spirit is in our hearts this morning, crying, Abba, Father, crying out, God, on our behalf, worship to you, God, so we know who we are. So God, would you remind us this morning through your word that we're your sons and your daughters. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the struggles of living in today's modern world is trying to find our place in it, especially when you come to Chicago from another location. But even if you were born in Chicago, the many cultures and lifestyles and life options and social ladders can leave us doubting the decisions and choices that we make and that we've made. Or you could say in another way, the city can leave us doubting our identity. And if you've moved here, from another place, whether it be another state or whether it be another country, the experience of losing yourself, questioning yourself, can be more strong. Because many of the anchors, when you move, that told us who we were, have been pulled away. Our family isn't here, our heritage isn't here, our traditions aren't here, the patterns of life we grew up watching aren't here. So what this movement can create in our lives is a sense of detachment. It's like when you look into your room and the sunlight comes across the room and you see all these floating particles of dust. And that's what it feels like sometimes to be a a traveler or to be an, an immigrant, to feel detached like dust. Because the anchors that told us who we were have been removed from underneath us. And there are good things about this, one being creativity. The sense of detachment for some of us is freedom 
to be different, to think differently, to be unrestrained, which can go very badly, but can also bring about innovation and invention and creation. The city, like Chicago, can create a space to create, to innovate. But I would suggest for many of us, the city is just crushing. The options are crushing. Because ultimately, options are questions. Should I buy or should I rent? Should we stay or should we leave? Should I be getting married now or focusing on my career? Should I be a stay-at-home mom or should I be a working mom? Should I take this job or that job? Do I dress okay? (laughs) Is my accent okay? (laughs) Is my skin color okay? When should my kids start school? Which school? Aldi, Costco, Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, Sir Mac. (sighs) And what's behind all of these questions is a bigger question. Who am I? Or a more pointed question. Am I acceptable? Are my choices acceptable? In a world where we so easily become untethered from our family and our heritage and our traditions, what is an acceptable way of life? And the reason this is a conversation about our identities is that when we make decisions, we feel like we are attaching permanent labels to ourselves. Labels that accumulate to saying, this is who I am, accept me, please don't reject me. This is who I am, hopefully that's okay. A life full of self-concern living on the cliff of rejection. Waiting to maybe lose another friend. Waiting to maybe lose another job. Waiting to be hurt maybe by another church. Waiting until the savings run out. Waiting until people see maybe that I'm not all that I seem. Maybe waiting until the city chews us up and spits us out. A life full of self-concern, living on the cliff of rejection. And I think if most of us are honest, some of us this morning live in the same place with God. On the cliff of rejection. So what we do and what I do is we hold up the best version of ourselves. Maybe you hold up your identity as a mom because you're proud of that. Maybe you hold up your identity as a successful businessman or businesswoman. Maybe you hold up your refugee status. You hold up your persecution. Maybe you hold up your student ID so God will know that you still haven't got this whole adult thing figured out. Or you hold up single mom with some anger in your heart, hoping God won't reject those that have already been rejected. And what we're saying is, this is who I am This is who I've become. Hopefully that's okay. Hopefully that's enough to be accepted, not rejected. We hold up the best versions of ourselves. This is who I am. But this morning, what I want to remind myself and what I want to remind you is that we don't tell God who we are. He tells us. We don't tell God. God who we are, he tells us. You don't tell God who you are, he tells you. We're going to back up a little bit this morning and take a kind of a running jump into our passage so that when we dive in, we kind of make a splash. I want to get you wet this morning. 
Are you ready? Okay. Here we go. I come from a preaching tradition in Ireland where people stay quiet, but I've realized it's wrong, okay? Are you ready? Last week, Jimmy took us through a section of Galatians where the Apostle Paul, bear with me, was seeking to explain to his readers in a region called Galatia what the relationship to the law of God should be. And Paul's already reminded them very, very clearly, and if you've been here throughout this series, stay the course, you'll have heard this clearly, that acceptance before God comes through faith and belief in the finished work of Christ, not through their ability to keep God's law. You can work, you can try your best, but you cannot rely on the law to save you. And yet there is still a question of the law. If our acceptance before God isn't based on keeping the law, do we even need it anymore? Are we free just to do whatever we want? And I think some of the confusion comes, and I've felt this, is the confusion comes due to all of those negative terms that Paul uses to refer to the law. Paul refers to the law as placing us under a curse. I don't like that. He refers to the law as putting us in prison. I don't like that. (laughs) He refers to the law as being like a cold, impersonal guardian that keeps us in line. I don't like that. The law of God, it just sounds bad. And we can think, yeah, man, I'm with Paul. I hate the law as well. The Ten Commandments are so authoritative. God telling us what is right and what is wrong. Yeah, that's a prison, all right. I'm with Christ. He set us free. We can just come and make our own conclusions as what is right and what is wrong. That's freedom. And that's not what Paul is saying. Let me explain. Jesus himself said, every letter of the law of God is good. Every standard in the word of God as to what is moral and what is immoral. Every standard as to what is right and what is wrong. As to what we should do and should not do is good. And every letter of the law of God is good. But every letter of the law of God is more than good. Because every letter of the law of God is beautiful. The law of God, the commandments of God, the truth of God is beautiful because the law is a reflection of God's character. The law is not made up of some arbitrary rules where God said, I'll decide lying is bad, telling the truth is good, or maybe I'll do it the other way around. No, let's stick with the original. No, truth is good because God is truth. Everything he says is true, so to lie is to say, I'm going to be unlike God. I'm going to go my way. I'm going to reject his ways and his character. God didn't just say, I'll decide sex outside of marriage is bad and sex inside marriage is good because he had to pick one way or the other. No, God said for eternity past, I have been committed as one. God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have been committed to each other as one for eternity. God is a God of commitment. When he gives himself, he gives all of himself and he commits himself. When Christ gave himself, he gave all of himself. He gives us all of himself. And God's God's commitment to us is not cheap. He doesn't move on. And so when we save ourselves for marriage and then commit ourselves to our spouses, we aren't just keeping a rule, we are reflecting godliness. We are saying the ways of God are good and beautiful. We are reflecting the beauty of the character of God. 
And the ways of God have always been and will always be good and beautiful from eternity past to eternity future. There is an eternal, global, universal, moral code because there is an eternal, global God who is good. So Paul is not saying for a second, and the Bible never says that the law of God is something bad to be gotten rid of that in and of itself is a prison or a curse. I'm getting excited this morning. The reason, the reason the perfectly good and beautiful standards of God become a prison to us is because the character of God creates a standard that we can't jump. The law creates a standard of goodness that we can't keep. The law creates an occasion where we are stuck in our sin and need help. In Galatians 3 verse 10, it says it like this, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. And the key word that we got to notice is rely. Say rely. Because the word rely brings up the idea of what the law is for. For what purpose are we relying on the law? Because the law of God is it's helpful for many things. It shows us the character of God. It restrains our sin. It gives humanity as a whole a moral sense of direction. But what the law cannot do, what we cannot rely on it doing is helping us. We so easily think that God's law is a vehicle that can get us somewhere if we'll only try. When the law is only a map telling us where we need to go, but we don't have the power to get there. So what God's commandments and standards do is what they were made to do to reveal to us that we're stuck and we need help. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story, which is a good intro. Jesus tells a story and one of the most, about one of the most relatable characters in the Bible who gets stuck. He gets stuck in a field of pigs and he realizes he needs help. And the story goes like this. There were two sons and one father. And one of the sons went to the father and said this. Father, give me my share of the land that is coming to me when you die. I'm leaving now. And what the son is essentially saying is, I reject you. I want to untie myself from any association with you. I want to take my share of the land and leave you, dad. I'm going to leave you and your ways and choose my own path in life. And this, this would have brought up deep shame and embarrassment on the father. A son who should have been elevating his father as someone to be honored was rejecting his father as someone to be used and ignored. But the father gives the son the money anyway from the land and lets the son go on on his way. So the son takes a journey into a faraway country, and Jesus said the son squandered his money in reckless living. And then as the story goes, when the son had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. Prospects that looked so good. An adventure ahead with money in his pocket ended up being a series of reckless decisions. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens in that country. And they gave him a job in a field feeding pigs. And he got so hungry he wanted to join with the pigs in eating their food because nobody gave him anything. Prospects looked so good. 
ended up being a series of reckless decisions, ended up stuck in a field of pigs. And this is relevant to us this morning because going through the book of Galatians, what Paul was telling his readers in Galatia is that when you seek When you seek to rely on the law to earn your acceptance before God, something will be revealed to you. One day, sooner or later, it will be revealed to you that you also are stuck. Because what will be revealed to you when you seek to rely on the law to earn your acceptance before God is that the reason you can't, the reason the character of God creates a barrier that we can't jump is that we continually, actively reject the character of God. Roger's work, this is important. It's not just that there's a standard of goodness and beauty that we can't live up to. It's also our hearts frequently don't want to. Our disobedience to the law of God reveals how we have said to our heavenly Father, I want to untie myself from any association with you. So as the son is sitting in the field, he has this thought. It says, when he came to himself, he thought, how many of my father's hired servants have have more than enough bread? And I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I will go to my father and say to him, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. As he sat in the field of pigs, he thought of his father and his servants and he thought their life isn't that bad. He knew he had no right to be his father's son. Not after the humiliation, the rejection he put him through, but maybe, maybe, maybe I can be a servant. This sounds kind of great. It kind of sounds like repentance. Turning away from sin and turning back to God, he's going home. And he's going to be a hired servant and it's going to be hopeful. Every day, he's going to have a chance to prove himself. Every day, he's going to have a chance to make the right decisions. Every day, he's going to get up and see his father with the hope of making a good impression. Maybe, maybe, maybe. One day, he'll be able to move out of the servants' quarters and move back in with his dad. Maybe. Can you imagine? living every day on the cliff of rejection. It would be constantly wondering what his father thinks of him. Trying to catch eyes with his brother as he serves the family dinner in the evening. Trying to work out his dad's rhythm so he can cross paths with him and make a good impression. Maybe in time he'll love me again. Maybe if I serve really hard... Maybe if I stand out from all the other servants, maybe if I clean and I cook and I sweep up real good. Maybe if I hold up the best version of myself. Maybe if you hold up your identity as a mom because you're proud of that. Maybe if you hold up your label as a successful businesswoman or businessman. Maybe if you hold up your refugee status, you hold up what you've suffered for him. Maybe hold up your student ID so God will know that you're still trying to figure out the adult thing. Or you hold up single mom with some anger in your heart, hopefully God won't reject the already rejected. Maybe if I hold up the best version of myself, maybe one day God will see who I am. 
Maybe he'll see through all of the service I'm doing and all of the servant clothes I'm wearing. Maybe he'll see one day that I'm his son. Maybe one day he'll see I'm his daughter. Maybe, 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 but for now waiting. Not sure. Waiting on the cliff of rejection. To be a son living as a hired servant is to live on the cliff of God's rejection. Rogers Park, I don't have words for where we go from here. I'm a 29-year-old non-academic with a very average vocabulary and a sore throat trying to preach the greatest truths in the universe. Sometimes I wonder if, if we shouldn't come to church with our sharpened pencils and our notepads, but if we should come with crash helmets and life jackets ready to strap into our seats, ready for something to blow our minds, something so ready for a storm, ready for thunder, ready for a flash flood, ready for God. Because where the story goes from here, we would never guess. And you maybe know the end of that story, but if you were sitting at the feet of Jesus, you would never guess. The son says, I will rise and go to my father and say to him, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Every day he's going to have a chance to prove himself. Every day he's going to have a chance to make the right decisions and hold up the best version of himself. The story continues with the son heading home to be a hired servant, to live in the shadows of his home, to be seen but not heard, to be seen but not included. And he comes over the hill and he, he sees home and his father looks out and sees him. And as his father becomes more convinced of who he sees, he loses his composure and he starts running. And I'm sure the one son wondered, why is he running? What's going to happen? And his dad gets to him and grabs him and hugs him and kisses him and picks his feet off the ground and walks him home and into their house. And he stands with his chest puffed out and says, this is my son. He was lost, but now he's fine. He was dead, but now he's alive. This is my son. This is a beautiful story, but it is earth-shattering theology. And the reason I've been around the world for a shortcut this morning is that I needed a run-up. Because the first verse I had to preach this morning is Galatians 3, verse 26, and I got stuck there. It starts with this. It starts off by saying, for in Christ Jesus you are. For in Christ Jesus you are. For in Christ Jesus you are. For you are in Christ Jesus. I needed a run-up to explain what this means. One commentator says that if Paul was forced to give a definite psychological analysis of this relationship of being in Christ, it would have left Paul speechless. But he was convinced that he had experienced just such an intimacy with Christ, and he was also sure that his converts had experienced the same as well. Hence, Paul used this phrase, in Christ, 172 times in his letters. One commentator says that to be in Christ is that contact between the human and the divine which forms the core of the deepest religious experience which can only be felt as an immediate intuition of the highest reality and can't be described fully in mere words. 
To be in Christ, it's mysterious and it's mystical. It refers refers to being in the eternal Son of God. It refers to being in the Word who became flesh. It refers to being in Christ Jesus, who is all of history and meaning rolled into humanity. Christ Jesus has eternally been God and one with God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have been three but one. And have been committed to each other as one for eternity. And will be committed to each other for eternity future. I'm talking about mystery this morning and it's incredible. What is so important for us to see is that within God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, there is not an ounce of rejection. There is only pure acceptance. There is pure love between God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit. There is pure togetherness. There is pure embrace. God the Father embraces all of his Son. And God the Son embraces all of his Father. So what does it mean to be in the Son? What does it mean to be in Christ? Listen to this. It means to be found. It means to be hidden. To be smothered at the center of the embrace of God with his Son. It means to be found. It means to be hidden. It means to be smothered at the center of the embrace of God with his son. It means to look into eternity past and see that God has always been a relational God. And God has always, Christ has always loved his father. Love to the point. Love to the epitome. Love unhindered. Full embrace. Full acceptance. And God has always loved his son. Love to the point. Love to the epitome. Love unhindered. Full embrace, full acceptance. So to be found in Christ means to be found, to be be hidden, to be smothered at the center of the embrace of the love between God the Father and his Son. To be found in Christ. To be found in Christ is to be embraced by God just as we were Christ himself. To be found in Christ is to be embraced by God just as we were Christ himself. Church, is that good news? Rogers Park, when Jesus told the story of the son returning home to his father, where did Jesus conjure up that story? What fragments of his imagination did he use to think of that story? To think of a father who would run for his son. To think of a father who would love like that. To think of a father who would embrace like that. To think of a a father with that kind of character. To think of a father who would stand with chest puffed out saying, this is my son. Jesus didn't have to think hard. He knew a father like that. Church, we weren't the original inspiration for the affections of God. When the father in the story gets to his son and throws his arms around his son and kisses him and picks him up off his feet, the father is embracing his son just as God the eternal father has been embracing Christ for eternity. And what the apostle Paul is telling us in Galatians 3.26, put your crash helmets on, is that that run, that hug, that embrace... That commitment is ours in Christ. That run, that hug, that embrace, that commitment is ours in Christ.
Galatians 3, amen. Galatians 3, 26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. To be found in Christ is to be embraced by God just as we were Christ himself. God runs for us just as we were Christ himself. And he embraces us if we were, as if we were Christ himself. He is as committed to us as he is to Christ himself. He calls us his children just as he calls Christ his son. He calls you his child just as he calls Christ his child. To be found in Christ is to be embraced by God just as we were Christ himself. When you're in Christ, you are a million miles from the cliff of rejection because you are in the full embrace of the Father. You are a million miles from God's rejection because you are in the full embrace of the Father. Or just Park, we don't tell God who we are. He tells us. You don't tell God who you are. He tells you. Maybe you hold up your identity as a mom because you're proud of that. Maybe you hold up your label as successful businessman. Maybe you hold up your refugee status. Maybe you hold up your student ID or you hold up single mom with some anger in your heart. God looks straight through the best and worst version of yourself and says, mine. You are my son. You are my daughter. That is what I see. That is who you are. And even if all other labels peel off, even if you can't be a mom, even if you can't find a job, even if you're stuck as a student, even if you get rejected again, you're still always going to be my child. I don't have time. You're going to have to come back. I'm going to have to have time this morning to go through in detail how this is all possible. Charles Spurgeon, the English pastor, said it as succinctly as anyone possibly could. You stand before God as if you were Christ because Christ stood before God as if he were you. Your acceptance before God is free to receive through faith. But the cross was not cheap. When I started preparing this message, I really felt God didn't want me to start here and it would be a great place to stop. May you, the, may we, the children of God, go and be who we are. Go in peace. But I don't want to stop here because I know what's going to happen tomorrow morning. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning and you're going to have a 12-hour shift. You're going to go back to packing boxes and trying to pay rent. And you're going to wake up and say, I don't feel like a daughter of God. I don't feel like a son of God. There are two things that I want to say. One is for us as, as individuals and the other is for us as a family. First, Galatians 4 verse 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of God into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And what this verse, what this verse is saying is that as a seal, as a, as a confirmation of our adoption as sons and daughters of God, if you're in Christ and a son and daughter of God, God has sent the Holy Spirit into your very being. 
the Holy Spirit is within you. And one of the primary reasons God sends the Holy Spirit into our hearts and our lives and our beings is to be a witness within us that reminds us that we are in Christ. A witness that reminds us who we are. When the Holy Spirit cries out within us, Abba, Father, which is an intimate call to our heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit is crying out on our behalf, within us, within earshot to us, to remind us who we are, so that we hear it, so that there's something within us, the Holy Spirit speaking into our lives who we are, so that we can hear it, so that we can be reminded Do you know what we need to do? Listen. We need to create space in our lives, make time in our lives. Maybe time in the morning, maybe time in the evening, maybe time during the day to acknowledge the Holy Spirit and to listen for the Holy Spirit and then echo the Holy Spirit. When you don't feel like a child of God, you need to stop and you need to listen. And what you'll hear is the Spirit of God within you crying out to your Father within earshot to remind you who you are, that you're His. Secondly, 1 John 3, 2 says this, Beloved, we are children of God now. Our status has changed. We're children of God now, today. But what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know when Christ appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. With with 12-hour shifts and rent to pay and the brokenness of our lives, It's clear that even as sons and daughters of God, now we aren't yet experiencing the full reality of what that means. And yet one day we will. But until Christ returns and makes all things new and greets us face to face, and we see him as he is, we need patience. Patience. The lost virtue of the 21st century, patience. And yet as we wait, we are to help one another in our waiting. Please hear this, Rogers Park. We are to help each other in our waiting. We are to point forward for one another. What the Holy Spirit does is not only remind us who we are, but the Holy Spirit begins a process of transformation in our lives to develop within us the character of our Father. Holy Spirit transformation begins and ends with the realization that every letter of the law of God is not just good, but beautiful. Is the Holy Spirit singing that in your heart? Because if it is, He's telling you, you're a son, you're a daughter. Because your character is being transformed into the likeness of the character of God. And what I really want to say to us as a family, as we live out the character of our heavenly Father, as we love our neighbors, as we seek their good, as we care for each other, 
as we call each other, name each other, speak it into each other that we're brothers and we're sisters. We remind each other that the coming of God's kingdom is not as far away as it sometimes feels. We remind each other that a kingdom's coming. And our, our lives become like shafts of light. Our lives become like a sprinkling of salt. Our lives become like seeds in a field of soil. Our lives become like treasure in an abandoned field. Why? Because our lives will become a reminder to our brothers and sisters here with us that need reminded that the coming of God's kingdom is not as far away as it sometimes feels. Here's the final takeaway. Adoption is only as good as the family you're being adopted into. Adoption is only as good as the family you're being adopted into. And that's what makes our adoption into the family of God so good. Love to the point. Love to the epitome. Love unhindered. That run, that hug, that embrace, that commitment is ours in Christ. Let's pray. God, we give thanks to you and you alone, God. You have called us into your family, God, and you're going to keep us there. God, we thank you, God. May we go out from here this morning energized and renewed, knowing who we are, God, that you tell us who we are. And you say son, you say daughter, you say mine. God, well up on us hope this morning. In your name, amen.